Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Joey, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Excited to get the chance to connect. Yeah. So, you know, I came across you by way of our mutual friend, Clay Haber, who uh, seems to be the constant referral source for many, (laughs) many amazing guests to the show. Uh, So on that note, can you tell us a a bit about yourself, your story, your background, uh, your journey, and how that has brought you to where you're at today and what you're up to in the world? Sure. No, and uh, I'm very excited Clay connected us. Uh, As you mentioned, he's a fantastic connector and an even more impressive guy. So glad to get the chance to uh, connect and come together. Um, My my background and my path is unbelievably eclectic, or at least from my perspective. Uh, You know, went straight from college to law school. After law school, did business consulting for a while with uh, Fortune 500 companies, then went and was a criminal defense lawyer for a while. After that, I taught at the uh, kind of graduate school uh, executive MBA level. Uh, I ran a division of a promotional products company for a while. I then started my own marketing and design business, ran that for over a decade, and now I'm a professional speaker and consultant on how to create remarkable customer experiences. Um, it's been a fantastic path. I've loved every step along the way and I uh, kind of eat in hindsight, looking back on it, it all makes sense how the pieces of the puzzle came together. Uh, I don't think it makes made as much sense going through it or for other people looking at my career path. It's like, wait, the guy who used to defend alleged drug dealers is now designing logos. No way. The guy who worked for the CIA is now, you know, speaking on great customer experiences. How does this happen? You know, so it's, it's been a, uh, a little bit of an interesting journey to say the least, but definitely a fun one. Hmm. So there's, you know, obviously a lot of stuff here and, uh, you know, a lot of, of interesting parts like, you, you know, it's, it's funny that you say the dots didn't really connect, you know, looking forward, but they always do looking back. It's that old sort of Steve Jobs quote. But, you know, I'm really curious uh, how each and every one of these things and we'll go into detail uh, in, in all, into all of them, uh, but how each and every one of them has sort of influenced and shaped what you're doing today uh, and, and, you know, what you're up to in the world today. Sure. 
Well, it, it, to that end, it probably makes sense at the risk of doing the, you know, well, let me start my life story back when I was two. It, it probably makes sense to kind of go back uh, and give a little bit of context mm-hmm. about kind of the early career, if that makes sense. I yeah. mean, you tell me. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Definitely. Um, so basically, growing up, I grew up the son of a criminal defense lawyer. Uh, did spend a lot of time on the high school speech and debate team, amongst other things. And so when it came time to go to college, um, I definitely had an interest in government and international relations and politics in general. Grew up in a family of politicians and lawyers. Uh, so I went to Notre Dame and I studied that. And kind of going through school, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do next, but I had an idea that I wanted to go to law school and get a law school education. Mm -hmm. I wasn't 100% sure that I wanted to practice law at that time, but I I felt like there were some real benefits to that education. So immediately after uh, graduating from college, the following fall, I started law school at George Washington University in D.C., and, you know, my, the way I got to GW was kind of interesting in the sense that I applied to 13 law schools, including five in Washington, D.C. And I didn't really consciously think of it. I just made a list of all the schools I thought would be fun to go to and that I was interested in the programs they offered, etc. And when I realized that almost half of the schools I applied to were in Washington, D.C., um, I thought that there was kind of this calling to explore those political inclinations even more. So went to law school in D.C., was very involved in the various um, advocacy and, for lack of a better way of putting it, debate programs that they offer in law school. So mock trial, moot court, uh, the alternative dispute resolution board, all these different kind of clubs, if you will, that were about teaching you how to persuade and teaching you how to make a case. And I absolutely loved it. Uh, while I was in law school, I also got the chance to cross some things off the bucket list. When I was a kid, I always wanted to work for the Secret Service, and I always wanted to work for the CIA, uh, and always wanted to work at the White House, and was able during my three years of law school to accomplish all three of those things, which it was a tremendous time to be involved in government at those levels. It was during the Clinton administration. And I say this respectfully of President Clinton, you know, I was a law student slash somebody with legal knowledge and he had some legal challenges. <laughs> and and so it was, I mean, it was incredible to be, you know, what, 22, 23 years old working on the things that you would read about in the news or see on CNN. Uh-huh. Um, so I had this tremendous, tremendous experience. Um, I'm one of the, I, I think a lot of people go to law school and they actually hate the experience. I went to law school and I really enjoyed the experience. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a ton of work. Um, but I also always kind of in my transcript will bear this out. I kind of believe that the, as my grades went down, my job was to level those scales of justice by piling on activities and extracurriculars. Mm-hmm. So I was involved in pretty much every possible club you can imagine uh, in law school, including, you know, like Jewish Law Students Association, and I'm not even Jewish, uh, you know, Women's Law uh, Association, and it wasn't just to make, you know, fine girls to date, you know, that kind of thing. But I just... I really kept myself open to what was in front of me and what the possibilities were. Uh, Quick aside, I took a course on admiralty law, which is the law that governs anything that happens on a boat or a ship navigating the waters within the U.S. or in close proximity to the United States. Uh Fast forward three years, 
One of my first cases that I handled outside of law school was a lawsuit against Carnival Cruise Lines. <laughs> and suddenly this admiralty law case that I had taken that seemed so obscure, and my classmates tease me about it. They're like, Coleman, you'll take any class that involves waves. Like I took Law of the Sea, I took Air and Space Law, I took Admiralty Law, I took all these weird, random, obscure areas of the law. But then turns out that I was able to use that knowledge to win a case against Carnival Cruise Lines because they were blown away that this little kid practicing law in Iowa actually understood admiralty law. Mm. The only reason I understood it is because I had decided to take one of my electives in a subject matter that interested me. The reason I share that story is my entire career has been based on if I see something that's interesting to me, I go out and I explore it. And I keep diving deeper and deeper into it until I lose interest in it. But as a result, lots of other interesting doors open up. Mm. After law school, um, I ended up working for a company called the Corporate Executive Board in D.C. Uh, probably some of the smartest people I ever worked with. Um, and my job was to sell consulting engagements, you know, $50,000 engagements to Fortune 500 uh, CIOs and heads of sales. And during that experience, which lasted all of a year, the churn rate in that company was insane. When I started in February, there were 12 people on my team. When I left at Halloween, there were only two of us left. Um, so they had about 150% turnover rate within their sales and marketing department, uh, just because it was an insanely high-pressure job uh, with a ton of travel. But during that experience, not only did I learn a lot more about the business world, but I learned a lot more about how sales and marketing happens at the highest levels of Fortune 500 corporations. Because um, my job was to get on a plane, fly and meet with the senior vice president of sales or the CIO, and in a 30-minute meeting, convince them to give me a check for $50,000. Kind of high-pressure stakes early in a sales career and very fun. Mm -hmm. um, which was great. After I left that, I went back and I practiced law. I was a criminal defense lawyer in Iowa practicing with my dad uh, for about four and a half, five years. Um, wonderful experience as well. Once again, putting to work those skills that I developed and honed over the years in persuasion, in building a case, in making an argument. I often liken it to, uh, you know, at that time, my job was to stand up in front of a group of people and convince them to take a course of action they weren't otherwise predisposed to take. In other words, find my client innocent. Mm -hmm. Later in life and up to what I do today, my job is often to either personally or to help companies and their teams stand up in front of a group of people, i.e. prospective customers and current customers, and convince them to take a course of action they're not otherwise predisposed to take. Part with their hard-earned money or their time to buy or partake in a company's product or service. So actually the stakes are a lot lower now than they were when I was practicing law. Because when I was practicing law, if I misspoke, someone went to prison for the rest of their life. Now if I misspeak, you maybe don't sell as many widgets this quarter as you would like. But it's right. like no one goes to prison. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it, it was an interesting path. The, you know, after doing that, uh, practicing law for a while, I moved to Western Massachusetts. I was, uh, at the time taught at a kind of graduate school executive MBA level for a semester, had a great time there learning a lot about how do you teach 
what you've learned. How, you know, and that, and I had done some other teaching throughout, you know, law school of uh, other law students and at the junior high level teaching street law and things like that. But this was really the first time that I was in front of a classroom teaching people business courses and trying to learn the different modalities of how the human brain works and the different types of learners there are and the different ways you can teach, uh, you know, the difference between auditory, visual, and kinesthetic learners. And as a teacher, how to incorporate all three of those learning techniques into your uh, teaching methodologies. So great experience. While I'm teaching, I get a call to come down and work at a promotional products company in D.C., uh, running a division that they wanted to start focusing on law firms. Moved to D.C., got into that. Two weeks into it, long story short, since we're on a podcast, it didn't work for a variety of reasons that I'm happy to address in person, but not on a recording. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I found myself in D.C. with a, you know, year-long lease on an apartment befitting the six-figure salary that I had received to come down and run this company and no job. (laughs) Kind of an oh shit moment, right? Where it's like, what do I do now? And I had all these opinions about how businesses should be run. And I thought, well, maybe I should put my money where my mouth is and start my own. So I did two things. Number one, I started doing legal temping, which is basically a white collar sweatshop uh, where I was paid. You know, you got one rate for the first 40 40 hours. You got time and a half between 40 and 80. And you got double time for over 80. And this was basically doing large document review for antitrust cases. What I learned there is that I could work 100-hour weeks consecutively, even though it took a horrific toll on my body and my spirit. But I used the revenue that I generated from that to help springboard my startup. That and credit cards, which is a typical story of many founders. Um, And about six months into it, was generating enough revenue that I could quit doing the legal work and just focus full-time on my marketing and design business designing logos, brochures, ad campaigns, uh, anything that a company or a nonprofit might need to promote themselves, to get their message out there. I did that for over a decade, up until this past March when I closed that side of my business and put all my effort on speaking, uh, which is something I had done all along throughout the process. But in over the course of the decade of running my marketing and design company, Design Symphony, I had developed this methodology I call the first 100 days. And it was based on some research that even went back as far as my time at Corporate Executive Board and even further back to my time uh, as a government and international uh, relations student in undergrad, um, where this concept of the first 100 days was originally coined in reference to the first 100 days of the presidency. The parallel it had to business was the first 100 days of the CEO and from a leadership point of view. And then I started looking at it as it relates to customers and the first 100 days that happen after you sign a new customer. And what I found in my research is that is a disproportionately vital time in the life cycle of a customer. And the reason for that is this is when all the first impressions are being made, where they're deciding whether they want to do business with you, whether they like to do business with you, and whether your product or service is actually going to deliver on the promises it holds out. So what I found in my research, looking at this 
key time, this first 100 days, is that the first 100 days in the customer life cycle is a disproportionately vital time in the customer relationship. And the reason for that is because this is the time where you're learning all about the company you've decided to do business with, uh, your customers are getting the first impressions, uh, they're trying to see if the product or service is actually going to deliver on what it promised. And as a result, Somewhere between 20 and 60% of all clients within the first 100 days quit doing business with you. And that's across all industries around the world. Um, and, I, and I was just blown away by the impact of this disparity, if you will, of what happens. Because from my time in sales and marketing, I knew how much time and effort was spent on customer acquisition, on marketing messages, on advertising, on trying to drive people, fill the funnel, drive them to your focus or to your product or your service offering. And then as quickly as you've welcomed them in the front door, they're racing out the back door. And what I realized is it was really important to focus on what was happening on the backside. So in the last year, 100% of my focus has been on this topic, which over the last 10 years, I've been working with individual clients to implement. But now I've started to take it more publicly. So I spend the great bulk of my time speaking at events and conferences about the first 100 days and why it's so important. And then I also spend time working one-on-one -on -one with clients to help them develop their first 100 days strategies. And it's been absolutely fantastic. We've seen tremendous results because while it's not rocket science, mm -hmm. or I think as George Bush would say, rocket surgery, um, what it really is is giving a damn about your customers. And the more you're able to love them and let them know that you love them, the more willing they are to stay with you. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the research actually shows that if you can get to day 101, in the typical business, you'll have that customer for five years. So it's, it's insanely valuable to focus in on this time. And so that's the bulk of what I do these days. All right. So there's a, a ton of stuff here that I, <laughs> I want to dig into. Um, let's go back to the beginning. You know, one of the things you mentioned is, is sort of this calling to explore political aspirations. And I guess the question for me is, you know, what what would you say is sort of the theme or the through line that sort of connects the entire career together and how do we find ours in our work? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think I, I have the pleasure of speaking to a lot of college age and graduate school age students. And this idea of, well, what is my life's mission comes up a lot. Because I think we've all read enough books and enough career advice that says, you just need to find your passion and then go follow that and a wonderful career will develop. And that's awesome. And that's, in many ways, this great 35,000-foot advice. But when you're sitting in school as a college student or a graduate student, or you've been working a job that you've recognized is not your love or your passion, and you're wondering to do what to do next, this thought of, well, just find your passion is complete bullshit. I mean, it's like, how do you even do that, right? And I guess what I found, the thread that's connected my entire career is two things. Number one, I've always tried to live with a thirst for knowledge and remain totally open to anything interesting that comes across my path, pursuing it with relentless abandon, right? And saying, you know what, this sounds really cool. I'm going to dive into it like crazy. 
and doing that. Um, you know, as I mentioned in my earlier story, you know, I, here I am working as a legal temp, working 100 hours a week. And what am I doing when I'm not working? I'm designing logos. I'm drawing pictures because I had that interest. And as I look back, and you know, even back to high school, uh, one of the disagreements my parents got into my senior year of high school is my dad wanted me to take calculus and my mom wanted me to take independent study art. And dad was like, no, calculus will prepare him for better for college. And my mom was like, independent study art will actually feed his soul. <laughs> well, you can imagine which class I ended up taking, right? It, it, with all due respect to mom and dad, if they're listening in, when push came to shove, mom always won out. And I'm so glad she did because I ended up taking independent study art and recognizing that you could actually pour the same level of focus and energy and determination into soft skills or into quote-unquote non-traditionally revenue-generating skills like art as opposed to putting all of your effort into something like math. Not to say that math isn't important, but I just I was never that good at math, but I never really enjoyed math. Um, so I think... I think that's one piece of it. It's like finding those things that, you, that are even remotely or tangentially interesting to you and plowing into them. Secondly, I think it's a matter of not putting the pressure on you to find your life's mission or your life's purpose to let it evolve over time. I mean, if somebody were to look at my resume and they were to say, okay, so Joey's passion is, it's really hard to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, was well, his passion politics or government or law or teaching or speaking or design? Well, the short answer is yes. It's all of those things. And what I've tried to do is build a career that lets me dabble in multiple aspects of those and also be okay with if time has moved on past to not have his active career. Like, you know, two years ago, I moved from Washington, D.C. to Colorado. My involvement in politics decreased dramatically because I was no longer living in the Capitol. I wasn't practicing law. I wasn't doing these things that had me involved in law and politics. But that's okay. I didn't look at it as time lost or, you know, a misspent youth. I just looked at it as, well, those aren't the things that are my primary focus today. Could they come back? Absolutely. You know, my wife asked me the other day, you know, do you think we would ever move back to Washington, D.C.? And I said, you know, at the risk of sounding, you know, arrogant or glib, the only thing that I think that would get me to move back to Washington, D.C. would be the president saying, we need your help. I want you to come be an ambassador. I want you to head this government agency. I want to do. And by president, I mean any president. You know, if I felt my country was calling me to serve, yeah, I'd go back and I'd explore politics again. But at this point in my career, I'm more interested in building a family and continuing to build my speaking business and continuing to spread the good word about the importance of creating remarkable customer experiences. Because I've realized now my life passion, at least for now, and what I define as probably the next decade anyway, is to raise the bar on customer service and customer experience on the planet mm. to the point where it forces all companies to deliver great customer service and great customer experience. You know, it's it's interesting that you bring up that it's a, an evolutionary process, and that's something that I've definitely found in the five years that I've been doing this. You know, I yesterday I wrote a, a short little post on Medium about writing books, and 
you know, people will ask, you know, how do you come up with ideas for books? And I said, you know, I, I really don't. I said, you know, books reveal themselves to writers who write a lot. <laughs> sure. And sure. it makes me think of it's it's a, a you know a similar metaphor uh, in terms of exploring. I mean, it sounds to me like the the sort of through line has been looking at the things that make you curious and the things you really want to learn about. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think also not. Um, I'm a big student of. Um, you know, personal psychology and personal development. Mm-hmm. I think there's also the, a, a, a side tangent on this is if I am doing a project or a, a job or something, and for two consecutive weeks, I wake up dreading what I'm doing, I pull the plug and quit or move on. And, and the reason I say two weeks, that's my own metric. I think everybody has to develop their own is because everybody's going to have bad days and you're going to have kind of crappy projects that you have to work on and things that you don't like doing. But if that's happening day after day after day and you're starting to live a quiet life of desperation, um, I, I think it's time to move on. And invariably I run into people who are like, well, that's easy for you to say, Joey, you're, you know, you were single. Like it's really easy to make that kind of decision when you're single and living with a bunch of roommates and your expenses are really low. I'm married. I have kids. I have a mortgage. Well, guess what? I'm in the place now where I'm married and I have kid, a child mm-hmm. and I still live by the same philosophy because as long as you're, following the path that you think is the right choice or the best choice, the universe will line up and provide everything else. I mean, I, my wife and I moved to Colorado two years ago. Part of the reason we moved to Colorado is we were getting ready to start a family and we weren't that excited about the prospect of raising kids in DC. Now I say that respectfully knowing that some of my friends from DC may be listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, you know, we just, what we looked at, what we wanted we weren't interested in, you know, the public school system in D.C., which is frankly atrocious. Mm-hmm. And you'll go through more security to get into high school in D.C. than you will to fly into, you know, National Airport in D.C., which is insane to me. Right. How do, when kids and as a guy who spent time in jails and prisons, when you take a student and you walk them through metal detectors before they can go into school and you give them a full pat down bordering on a body cavity search. How do you expect them to be in a state ready to learn and grow? You don't, right? And yet that's the way that system works. Or you go to private school in D.C., which the top ones, you know, you're looking at $35,000, $40,000 a year for kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, do you get a car at the <laughs> end of when you graduate your, from kindergarten? Because, like, this is insane. Yeah. And so we looked at it and we're like, we're going to move to Colorado. At the time, I had zero clients in Colorado. We had no idea what we were going to do. I had no idea if my clients in D.C. were going to continue to keep me as their provider because now I lived over a thousand miles away. It was a leap of faith, but it was a leap that felt aligned with where I wanted to put my focus, which was building a family. And short of marrying my wife, probably one of the smartest decisions I ever made in my life. I live on top of a mountain in Evergreen, Colorado. I'm standing here doing a call, looking out on a beautiful mountain range, uh, you know, of the Rockies. The western side of our house is made of glass. So I'm looking out on snow-capped mountains. It's a gorgeously sunny day. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's no traffic. There's no crowd. There's no hubbub. 
it's just me enjoying time with my wife and son and working from home and designing and building the career I want to. So I, I think it's one of those things where if you're not liking what you're doing, just stop and go do something else. Mm. Like it's, it sounds trite and it sounds simple, but it's really that easy. Uh, Tony Robbins has one of my favorite quotes on this topic. Tony Robbins talks about the fact that people often overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can accomplish in a decade. Mm -hmm. Start thinking about your life in terms of decades and it becomes a lot more fun. It's, it's a lot more, um, in some ways it brings a lot more pressure to it because at, you know, in my early forties, I look, I've probably got two, maybe three solid, solid, awesome decades of work left in me. Now, my goal is to work until they close the coffin, like, right? And, and not as a workaholic, but to be trying to live passionately and serve others and teach and experience and, you know, live life. But when I start to look at it as, well, I've got two, maybe three more decades left, what do I want those decades to be about? Mm-hmm. I don't want them to be about, ooh, I paid off the mortgage. Well, really? That, that's what you want on your tombstone? Mm-hmm. Um, not so much for me. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring up decades because uh, I gave a speech at Podcast Movement and I talked about how, you know, we'd been running this show for half a decade at this point. Mm. And, it, and you know, I, I've thought about that, that idea, you know, you mentioned that you get to the end of your life and you've paid off your mortgage. And I basically chose to do this knowing that maybe my student loan debt wouldn't get paid off. And I thought, well, if I went and done something else at the end of my life, I'll have accomplished paying off debt. And nobody will really have been impacted by that in any way. Right, right. No, totally. I mean, I, in the interest of full disclosure, I, we rent our house. Mm-hmm. We don't own our house. And some people look at that and they're like, oh my God, it's ridiculous. You throw money away every month. You're paying someone else's mortgage. Um, I'm also buddies with Jane Saltwitcher, who has written extensively on the folly of owning a house. Right. Right? And, and, and I'm not entirely decided on whether we'll ever own a house or not. What I am clear on is not having a mortgage has created insane flexibility in my life. And while some of my friends, I look at them and they're like, well, we've increased our net worth because our house is worth more. Following everything that happened in 2009, I've also got a stack of friends who have had to sell their homes at fire sale levels and have ended up carrying $150,000, $300,000 in debt because their house was underwater that much. And now they're digging out of this six-figure debt that, frankly, they have nothing to show for Mm-hmm. So again, I think it comes back to design a life that works for you. The, the sooner in your life you can recognize that the life you're living is your life. It's not your parents' life. It's not your friend's life. It's not society's life. It's your life. And make the decisions that work for you. I think the happier you'll be. Now, that may result in some pushback from friends and family. Um, I, I am exceptionally, exceptionally fortunate in that my father's, you know, was a practicing criminal defense lawyer. I was working with him and I said, dad, I want to go try something else. I mean, as, as a father, now that I have a son and the thought of my son working in the family business and then coming to me one day and saying, dad, I don't want to do what you do anymore. I can see where that would be a really tough thing for a father to hear. But what I loved is my dad said, you know what? Great. Great. Let me know how I can support you. Let me know how I can be helpful. 
Let me know how I can prop you up as you begin a new path and try to figure out what you want to do. Tremendously valuable. And I recognize that not everyone has that, but you probably have a friend somewhere in your life who will support you no matter what choice you make. It may be a family member. It may be a friend. If you need to lean on someone, lean on that person. Lean on the person that their best interest is seeing you live up to your full potential as opposed to their best interest is seeing you become a doctor, a lawyer, a firefighter, you know, a mechanic, whatever the business is or whatever the career path or be married or not married or own your house or rent your house or whatever criteria they're applying to their life, mm-hmm. which is usually the blueprint that gets put on us. If we look at it, when someone's like, you're a fool not to own your own house, you look and it's like they own their own house. And if you dive deeper, they probably have struggles about owning their own house or maybe they don't. Um, But it's like your life experience often creates the blueprint by which you see the world, which is why I am a huge fan of having as many different life experiences as possible because I want my blueprint to be constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system.
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, well, uh, so much gold uh, in everything you just said. You know, let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit. Sure. And let's get into this idea of, you know, creating a remarkable customer experience in the first hundred days, because I think that's more than just about business. That to me seems fundamental to all relationships. Totally. Um, totally. And really, so what I want to do is kind of look at that framework, but look at it through the lens of, you know, something else you brought up, which was the idea of persuading people to take a course of action, because it seems like those two things would be tied together. So I'd love for you to walk us through how this applies to our lives, how this applies to our businesses and the psychology of it all. Sure. So let's, if I may, let's take it into our personal lives first yeah. because it'll be easier. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, whether they are an employee or an employer, an entrepreneur, wherever they are in their career path, their personal path will have given them evidence of what this concept is all about. So let's take it into a dating scenario, right? <laughs> in a dating, which it's more exciting this way anyway, right? And I, I do this a lot in my presentations. I say, you know, I have a philosophy that if you wouldn't do it in your personal life, mm-hmm. why the hell are you doing it in your professional life? And let's see how that phrase and that analogy plays out. So let's talk about dating. So often in dating, we decide kind of haphazardly that I'm ready to start dating. And we start going on dates with all kinds of random people you know, kind of sampling different relationships, seeing what it's like, different types of people, et cetera. And finally, we find ourselves in a bit of a more serious relationship. And that relationship is growing. We maybe go to dinner, we go to the movies, we go to a game, we go to, you know, some type of an event, we start to have shared experiences. One thing leads to another, and we start to realize, yeah, I like spending time with this person, and they like spending time with me. And it leads on and on, and then maybe we meet the friends, and we meet the roommates, and then maybe we even meet the family. And we finally get to this point where we're like, you know what? I'm all in. I'm in a committed relationship. I want to be with you and only you. And what this often looks like, at least in our society, is let's get engaged and let's get married. Okay. And so then the person says, yes. And we're like, this is fantastic. We're in it together. Now, imagine if we reached that point and as soon as we were engaged, we started looking for someone else to hook up with. Not a recipe for relationship success. Yeah. And yet that's how most of our businesses operate. Mm -hmm. We chase a customer. We chase a customer. We finally land a customer. And what do we do? All that sales and marketing effort turns towards going to get a new customer. And what we often do is the salesperson who's been responsible for building that relationship, for all the courting, all the dating, all the lead up, says, hey, guess what? 
You're fantastic. I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I'm going to take great care of you. Oh, but by the way, let me introduce you to Bob. Bob's going to be looking out for you from now on. I need to go find some other people to date. Mm-hmm. And we hand off to an account rep. And we wonder why our customers are like, what? Wait, are you kidding me? Like this new person doesn't know their story. Doesn't know all the things I've shared doesn't know what I'm really looking for. You know, in business parlance, we're expecting a handoff of the client notes of what the client's actually looking for. But we all know in practical application, that rarely happens. And it rarely happens as effectively as it needs to. It's no wonder that people are leaving out the back door as quickly as they come in the front door. Because in our personal lives, if we did that, it'd be insane. Let's look at another analogy from our personal life. Let's say you go on that first date. It's absolutely wonderful. You walk your date home and you're like, hey, this was great. I loved dinner. I loved movie. Let's do this again really soon. And the person says, yes, awesome. Let's do it next weekend. Let's get together again. And you're like, great. Oh, but by the way, before I let you go in for the night, you mentioned over dinner that you have two roommates. My gut instinct is your roommates are probably a lot like you. Similar values, similar beliefs, similar wants, similar needs. Can you give me their emails and phone numbers? Because I bet they love dating me too. This is akin in business to asking for referrals before we've actually delivered on anything of value. Right. Insane. We would never do. You'd get slapped for that behavior. And yet most businesses, especially in the online world, quickly after you sign up, you get the email saying, hey, promote that you just purchased this to five other people you know, Uh or give us the email. And it's like, really? I get that we've all read the books that say, if you want to get referrals, you have to ask for referrals. The piece everyone forgets, you know, they take that as the highlight from all the great books that have been written on referrals. Instead of recognizing that the timing of your referral ask is really important. And as my buddy John Jan says, a sale is not complete until the customer receives the result that they were looking for when they made the purchase. Hmm. So guess what? If they buy blogging software that is going to help them be a better blogger until they've actually become a better blogger. They're not going to be a good person to promote your blogging software. It's that simple. So let me ask you this. I mean, I, I love the analogy here of, of dating relationships, whatever, you know, and, and I can see how it ties. Where do we go wrong in the first hundred days in, in both categories? I think we go wrong in a couple things. Number one, I think we go wrong by trying to move too quickly. Mm. Let's take it into the personal relationship. You know, regardless of where your beliefs lie on a, uh, how shall I put this, a physical aspect of your relationship. If you move to that space before they've brought the meal, the Uh first time you go to have a meal together, you're probably moving too quickly. Yeah. Not, not saying always and not saying this applies to everyone's belief system, right? We try to rush it. We try to rush the relationship too fast. I think we also do a horrible job of listening. A horrible job of listening, right? We don't listen to our loved ones. We don't listen to our friends. We don't listen to our clients, our customers, because we're so caught up in living this frenetic life of running from one thing to the next that we rarely take the time to pause and truly be present 
in a relationship. I mean, when is the last time that you went and hung out with your friends? And Srini, I know you have a different, personally have a different view on this, a view that is more akin to what I'm supporting and purporting. I know you surf a lot, right? I mean, you cannot surf without being present. Well, you can, but your ass is going to get rocked by a wave. Like there's just, the ocean demands presence. It demands it. And guess what? If you don't deliver on that demand, you will pay the consequence. There are just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. In a lot of our lives, we should demand presence of ourselves in the relationship. But because the other person is also living this crazy, insane life, we often don't see the demand for presence until it's too late, until the relationship's falling apart. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, oh, wait, no, no, I do care. And the person's like, guess what? You had chances to prove this both professionally and personally. And so it just kind of falls apart. You know, I think it's really interesting you bring up the idea of going too fast uh, because, you know, we're in such a damn hurry in the culture yeah. that we live in. And and I, I've seen, you know, I've seen the consequences of this in, in the lives of numerous people, um, myself included. And yeah, it's... It's 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 kind of an interesting sort of uh, balance of going just fast enough and, and also knowing, you know, okay, maybe there's there's time that just doesn't need to be wasted here. And part of it, I also think, is understanding your own value system when it comes to the people you work with uh, and the people you choose in relationships, because I think there, there's a similarity in both, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think, I don't know about you, I, I grew up, and, and I don't think this idea was necessarily... Uh, purported by my parents as much as it was just my own evolving belief system. But I kind of grew up with this theory that you needed to connect and be friends with everyone you met, or you needed to at least try. And as I've gotten older, what I've realized is that is a fool's game to play. All right. People come into your life and they exit your life for different reasons. And sometimes we're thrilled about that exit. Other times we're heartbroken about that exit. But it's okay to have relationships that are there for a period of time. They grow and they expand and then they wither away and you move on to other relationships. Um, You know, I think Facebook is a wonderful indicator of this. Uh, No one who is on Facebook for more than about three months has not had the experience where someone you went to high school with that you didn't know at all friends you on Facebook. Right? And the question then becomes, do you accept that friend request or not? And for a long time, I went through the process of, well, I don't want to look like an asshole. <laughs> of course I want to accept that request. Like, I went to a small high school in northwestern Iowa. There were 70 kids in my graduating class. Like, tiny, tiny high school. If I don't accept a friend request, the next time those buddies from high school are getting together with each other, they're going to be like, God, look who, who does Coleman think he is? He doesn't have to accept my friend request, right? And so I let other people's blueprints or what other people might say affect how I behaved. I finally got to the point where I was like, you know what? If we weren't friends in high school and the universe hasn't had us connect again in a meaningful way since then, chances are we're leading pretty different lives. And while there are similarities to our lives, and I believe there are similarities in every human being's life, Mm -hmm. 
there are only so many relationships you can actively maintain. I know there's a lot of debate about the Dunbar number of 150 relationships, and then some more recent science has come out and said, no, it's actually 1,500, it's 10x the Dunbar number. Um, It's one of those things where it's like, where are you going to spend your time? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was entering my 40s or having a child, but I am increasingly, like on a daily basis, becoming more aware of the fact that the most valuable commodity I have is my time. You can always make more money. You can always do more things. You cannot generate more time. It's the one playing field leveler that exists across humanity. I am cautiously optimistic that Ray Kurzweil, the fantastic futurist and inventor uh, who now works for Google, is going to crack the code on how to let us live forever. Uh But I'm not placing all my eggs in that basket. If it comes along that way, sweet, sign me up. I'm excited. But if not, how am I going to use the time I have left? And part of that is I think about saying, these are my relationships And this is the effort I'm going to put into maintaining them. You know, and what are you doing on a regular basis to maintain your client relationships beyond the deliverables, beyond just saying, oh, I promised to do A, look, I did A. But instead saying, I promised to do A, oh, I did A. And by the way, what can I do for A plus? What can I do a little more to take some additional interest in my clients or my friends? You know, last night after being gone last week in San Francisco and on the road like crazy, my wife and I drove an hour to go to a baby shower for one of our friends. And it's a newer friend, but somebody who I can tell we're going to have a great relationship with. She's expecting her second child. And so we wanted to say, hey, guess what? We're interested in having a deepened relationship with you and knowing you and your husband and your first child better as well as your second child. So we're going to drive an hour each way to make sure we're there. You know what I mean? So it's about making the choices of where you spend that time. Now, could I have spent that hour working on my book proposal? Yes. Could I have spent that time working on, you know, uh, preparing for today's podcast and how to give shorter answers than I've been giving? (laughs) Yes. Right? There there are a ton of things I could have done. But at the time, I just said, this is where I want to place my bets. The the last thing I want to say on this, uh, because it's popped into my mind a couple of times while we've been talking this morning is, I think we all need to love ourselves more. We talk about, I talk about the importance of loving our friends, our family, our customers. I think the thing that almost all of us universally on the planet fail at is looking in the mirror and saying, I love you. I love you for who you are, for who you've been, for who you are today, and who you're becoming tomorrow. And stop beating ourselves up for the times we've fallen short. You know, I I try, given the kind of eclectic past that I've had, and I don't always do this as well as I should, but I try to apply the following two-pronged question to every heart-wrenching, painful, stressful scenario I come across. Question number one, did anyone die (laughs) in this scenario? The answer is yes. Oh my God, this is a travesty. We need to focus our time and effort on this. We need to mourn. We need to lament. The answer is no. We move to question two. 
Did anyone go to prison for the rest of their life without the possibility of parole? If the answer is yes, woe is me, this is terrible, this is the end of a life. If the answer is no, move on to the next. And the next piece of this is, then why are we stressing about this? If no one died and no one went to the prison to prison for the rest of their life without eligibility for parole, why are you letting this raise your blood pressure? Relax. Forgive yourself. Love yourself. Say, you know what? I didn't play this hand as well as I could have or as I should have, but you know what? Instead of beating myself up for it, I'm going to mark this moment in time, acknowledge what I could have done differently, and commit to doing that differently in the future, and then move forward Hmm. with no judgment, with no beating ourselves up with a wet noodle or worse, and just saying, I'm doing my best. Every day I try to wake up and do my best. And let me be really clear to anybody listening, and especially people who know me, they're very clear. I fail regularly. I'm the customer experience guy who teaches customer experience, who will occasionally drop the ball on the customer experience my clients are having. Hey, welcome to humanity, Mm -hmm. right? That's just the way it works sometimes. I was getting teased in an event last night. Somebody said to me, you know, Joey, I want to send you an email to ask you about a question I have. And and don't worry about how long it takes you to respond. And one of the other people at the dinner said, we'll be ready for three weeks. Because that's Joey's usual response rate. And there was a part of me that felt like that was a kick. It was just like, oh, shit, really? Three weeks? That's unacceptable in our day-to-day effort of how... We, you know, all emails should be responded to within 24 hours, blah, blah, blah. But as that thought process was kicking through emotionally in my body, the person said, but you'll really love the email when you get it. Because it will be really thoughtful and he will have taken the time to fully evaluate what you're asking. And I was like, okay. That's my goal. Now, is there room for me to improve so it doesn't take three weeks? Absolutely. Is that something I'm committed to? Absolutely. But the bigger commitment for me is actually giving a thoughtful response. It may not be a timely response, but you can bet your ass I will give you a thoughtful response. Wow. It just not, might not be on the time frame you need. And for that, I'm sorry. But I'm doing the best I can, and it's something I'm constantly working to improve by saying no to the other things in my life where I'm not going to be able to provide great value. And instead, just focusing on the areas where I will. Man, so much gold. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny, as you were talking about loving yourself, I have, uh, you know, uh, my friend Kamal Ravikant's book here, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends oh, on nice, Sitting on My Desk. Nice. I'm, yeah. I haven't read Kamal's book, but I'm going to get the chance. I'm actually attending an event where he's going to be speaking. And I am so excited about it because I've heard great things about Kamal and about his book, and I plan to read it before the event. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, God, we could do a better job loving ourselves. Yeah. We really are, are hard on ourselves. You know, and I, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I don't remember where it was. I'd heard something on a podcast, you know, uh, of, you know, what they call the pain gap. And it's like how things are and how we want them to be. And it's basically that space in between that is the cause of all our suffering and all our pain. Totally. Totally. And, and I'm a big proponent of vision boards and setting goals and having big dreams. Sure. But if you're going to do that, I think an implicit secondary requirement 
is gratitude for where you are in the exactly, process. Exactly, yeah. And if, if that's not an active, if gratitude isn't an active piece of your daily ritual, my friends, you're missing out. You're missing out. Uh, two buddies of mine, uh, Alex Icon and UJ Ramdas, created this great thing called the Five Minute Journal. I've always been the kind of person that wanted to journal in my life. And if any of my teachers from you know grade school, junior high, or high school are listening, when you had those journaling assignments, in the interest of full disclosure, I regularly would write the semester's journal forty eight hours before I had to hand it in. I'd be like writing old entries, like. Four weeks ago, do, 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 do. today is a great day. This is what I did or whatever. And it's just complete BS. I wasn't writing it at the time. I always wanted to be the kind of person that kept a journal daily, but never was until I met Alex and UJ. And they gave me this gift, the five-minute journal. And you, so you take the five-minute journal and you open it up. And the premise behind the five-minute journal is spend five minutes a day, sometime in the morning, sometime in the evening, writing in this journal. I have now kept this journal religiously every single day since they gave it to me over a year ago. First time I've ever done it. And Srini, I have to tell you, it has absolutely changed my life perspective because the first question it asks is three things that you're grateful for. Hmm. That's how I start my day every day. You cannot have consistently shitty days if you start every day by saying, and here are three things that I am sublimely grateful for. Revolutionizes your approach to life. Or at least it has for me. And I think it would for many. Wow. So one more question before yeah. we wrap things up. Uh, you know, you and I had a chance to sit down at dinner. And, uh, of course, you know, Jason Gaynard made us drive almost to Mexico <laughs> for that dinner. Uh, so true. So we had, true. Had, to, had to give him shit for that in case he's listening. But, Absolutely. Uh one of the things that you talked about that really kind of was riveting and pretty much had the entire table's attention was the work that you did with Tony Robbins in that super crazy $100,000 a year mastermind. And I, what I really want you to talk about is sort of the mindsets that have come from that that have allowed you to really sort of influence and, and do what you do in the world and, and what we can take away from that that we can start to apply to our own lives. Mm, uh, cool, cool. Yeah. So a uh, couple of thoughts. First of all, yes, Jason did make us almost drive into Mexico to attend this uh, dinner in San Diego, but God love him, he got us all together, which is something that the rest of us had failed to do prior to that dinner, which I love him for. I love him like a brother. It's awesome. Um, yeah. So for about 18 months, I was part of Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership Program. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, mastermind program that Tony runs. Uh, as Trini said, all in, it ends up costing you about $100,000 a year, which trust me, talk about peer feedback. I got a lot of grief for some of my friends. They were like, dude, I'll plan vacations for you for $100,000. And it's like, no, it's, it's not about vacations, even though we had amazing experiences all over the world attending these events. It's about making a commitment to your own personal growth and development. For me to try to uh, share all the wonderful takeaways that I had from that experience, we would need this podcast to be about five weeks long. And <laughs> even then, I would scrape the surface. Um, but some, if I may, some, some key takeaways. Number one, invest first in yourself. 
Invest in yourself on a regular basis. Commit to a life of growth and learning, both external growth and learning by the things you read, the things you experience, uh, the life you live, but also your internal growth and learning by taking time to actually explore what your blueprint of the world is. What are the things you value? What are the things you want to move towards? What are the things you want to move away from? How your past life and past experiences have influenced and made you who you are today and which of those you want to continue versus which of those you might want to say, you know what, I acknowledge that this played a role in my life in the past. I acknowledge it's an experience that I had in the past. But for me to live life to the fullest in the way I want to live going forward, I have to close that chapter. I have to move on beyond it. One of the things that Tony is absolutely fantastic at is he has the ability more so than any other person I've ever met, seen, or witnessed in any capacity, to read in a situation in the moment to interact with another human being and cut straight to the things that are causing them the most pain, that are the greatest limiting beliefs they have, that are the biggest challenges they're facing. And in short order, cut to what they need to do to take massive action to change that belief system or change that blueprint. For most people, it's really as simple as saying, you know what? I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to move forward. Regularly, we know the answer, right? So like, for example, if you are overweight, you know, you are, you cannot exist in 2014 and be overweight and not know there are two solutions to your problem. Number one, eat less. Number two, exercise more. Yeah. And, and I don't say that to be critical of people that are overweight. You know, that's the way it is. If you are in a job that you hate and it sucks, there is the clear understanding that there are two things you need to do. Number one, get a new job. Number two, develop new skills. Like none of this stuff is curing cancer. It's about having the personal focus, the personal discipline and the personal willpower to say, I don't want to live my life this way anymore. I love myself too much to continue to live my life this way. I want to design a new life. And I use the word design, which I'm a huge fan of that word, as you can probably tell by the design count of how many times I've said that word in today's call. I am a huge fan of consciously designing your life. Most people's lives, at least here in the United States, are haphazardly designed and almost opted in by default. Very few people actually take the time to say, do I really want to rent or do I want to own? Do I really want to eat healthy and, 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 put, and put my own personal health high on the pedestal? Or do I want to do what everybody else is doing, which is hit the bar regularly a couple nights a week, eat cheeseburgers and pizza? And don't get me wrong. I love my cheeseburgers. <laughs> I love pizza, right? Let me be really clear. But if I do that every night, it is not loving myself. Loving myself is trying to maximize the amount of time I have on this planet in a healthy state to serve others. That's my definition of how I want to love myself. So what do you do? So I, I, long story short, highly recommend Tony's work. If you don't like Tony Robbins for whatever reason, that's fine. Go find someone else in the personal development space to study. You know, study Wayne Dwyer. Um, you know, study, uh, you know, 
Stephen Covey, study any folks, study Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm -hmm. I mean, shit, I don't care. Find someone who you're like, you know, this person's approach to growth and learning and self-help and development is something I align with. That being said, don't get caught up in it forever. Yeah. Right. There are plenty of people. And again, I say this with love. There are people that I knew when I was going through the stuff more actively with Tony Robbins that would go to Tony Robbins event after event after event after event and say, I'm working on myself. I'm working on myself. And you're like, you haven't done shit since last time I saw you other than <laughs> sign up for this next event. Right. You know what I mean? Don't get caught in a cycle. This is the same people that go to therapists, right? Yep. I have no problem with therapists. If you've been seeing your therapist for more than two years, you really should stop and say, am I with the right therapist? Uh-huh. Because there is no problem that you are facing that with two years of regular work and focus, you shouldn't be well moving out of. Now, I'm sure that's going to be the the statement that you know gets people to comment and be like, and Joey Coleman was horrible because he was <laughs> knocking on therapists. It's like, no, I'm not knocking on therapists. I'm just saying the thing that all human beings crave, and I've had the chance to travel to dozens and dozens of countries. I think I'm at like 44 and counting or something like that. Around the world, meet people from all different color cultures, beliefs, uh, viewpoints, values, etc. What I have found is that across the board, I think the number one thing that human beings seek, at least in my opinion, is a feeling of progress. A feeling that today is better than a year ago. And a year from now will be better than today. Hmm. Like, I think that's really what we all want. And so if you're not making progress in your life, find a way to give it a rocket boost kick and create some momentum, create some progress, even in the smallest area of your life. Because from that feeling, you will be able to build and create even more progress. And then we get to kick into, uh, you know, laws of physics. An object in motion has a tendency to stay in motion. Right. Right? An object at rest has a tendency to stay at rest. I want to live a life in motion. I've had times where I've been at rest. I've acknowledged the rest, and that's been okay. But I want a feeling of progress. I want a feeling of motion. And I'm going to love myself along the way. Man, um, so much good stuff. Uh, I, I will make one comment about the, the self-improvement thing. And I can tell you where I started to see this was I thought self-improvement can quickly become self-obsession. Totally. And and that's the trap that you have to avoid. Uh, and I think every one of us struggles with that to some degree. So, you know, we've been going for, for more than an hour. And I mean, you've just packed this with brilliant insights. Uh, so I want to close with my final question, which is how we finish every interview at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is? that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Hmm. <clears throat> I think the more a person recognizes that when they came into this world, the mold was broken. Never in the history of time before that, never in the history of time after that, Will that exact combination of cells, soul, energy be on the planet? And I think what makes someone unmistakable 
is their acknowledgement of their uniqueness and their willingness to contribute to the planet as a result in their own unique way. Brilliant. Uh, well, Joey, uh, now I know why Clay said you would be a fabulous guest. I mean, Clay wasn't the only one. We've had <laughs> we've had numerous requests for you. Oh, and uh, I, I really, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and, and share some of your story and your insights with our listeners. Uh, this has just been a, a super inspiring, uh, motivating, and uplifting conversation. Uh, one of the most fascinating ones I've had in a long time. And, uh, you know, uh, for those of you guys listening, I'll, I'll link up a lot of the things that Joey has mentioned uh, in the show notes. Uh, definitely come and visit the website. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on, on everything here. Um, we'll, you know, have a discussion on the Facebook page and we'll wrap things with that. Excellent. Yeah. And don't hesitate. Anybody who's listening to reach out to me would love to connect. Awesome. If you like what you heard and you want to help us keep producing more interviews with amazing guests, the best way you can support the show is by making a contribution of as little as a dollar at unmistakabledonation.com. Thanks for listening to the unmistakable creative. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. 
head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.